Hello, you're listening to the Bonded Books Podcast, where we discuss books, fight over book boyfriends, and the lack of filter is a family trait. If you're lucky, you might even hear one of our dogs barking in the background. Because hey, if we have to deal with them, then so do you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Hello. Hi. Oh my gosh. Hi. (laughs) We're doing it. Oh, don't talk about it. (laughs) That's literally all we're supposed to be doing right now. (laughs) I know, but oh my God. Okay. So if I tell you to pause, that means I have to go to the bathroom. So will you be able to stop this thing or you're already recording me? (laughs) Motherfucker. (laughs) Fine. How about giving a girl a little heads up warning first? (laughs) Yeah, so it's already recording, but we could always cut that part out. All right, we'll decide later. Okay, I like it. Okay, so uh, do you want to start by giving you yourself a little intro? I didn't know how we were going to do this since this is our first time. Yeah, I think maybe we can just introduce ourselves and then we could you know talk about the book that we picked okay so i did a little blurb about me so okay go ahead (laughs) go go first okay i will okay okay so um i just wanted to start this by saying i recently retired and moved down here to be closer to my daughter rachel and You know, a lot of people work their whole life and dream of being able to retire and go to lunch with their daughter. And instead, I'm sitting here doing a live podcast with her about all things hot and nasty in the (laughs) (laughs) the paranormal shifter world. What more could a person dream of? (laughs) Right? Your tone is making it sound like I'm strong arming you into this. And well, I I don't know (laughs) if I ever told you this. This is a crazy, ironic timing. But I the night you reached out to me about doing this, I was literally really bored and depressed and was laying in bed and was thinking to myself, Oh my God, this is retirement. This is horrible. I'm going to be bored out of my mind and lonely. And what am I going to do? And I swear to God, your text popped up and it said, um, would you be, I know you're retired, but would you be interested (laughs) at all in doing a podcast with me about these books that we're reading? And I thought, Oh my God, this is amazing. Of course I would. Yeah, the whole careful what you wish for really comes to to mind right now, doesn't it? Now that we're actually doing it. Yeah, so at the beginning of this podcast, I will say to you, thank you for giving me a reason to continue to live. But (laughs) no pressure. (laughs) But I have no idea what I'm going to say to you by the end of this podcast. That's fine. As long as you don't hang up on me in the middle of recording like you already threatened to do. Yes. Yes. Well, since you didn't buy my going to Cuba in the middle of the night to get away from you and not and get out of this, uh, hanging up on you is the next best thing. Okay, great. (laughs) And I I just wanted to say about the reading the books or talking about these books, I almost never give any book five stars. I think I usually give four stars if a book's really good because I'm always on the hunt for the perfect book and I'm afraid if I give too many five stars people are not going to take me seriously and personally I am tired of the thumbs up rating system so I will be rating these books by five panties being the best (laughs) okay they don't have to be wet panties but they are panties (laughs) nonetheless Okay. <laughs> and I'll be giving my podcast, my rating of the book at the end. So if you, if any listener is freaked out or offended by the 
panty rating system, you're obviously not our target audience and should tune out now. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely listening to the wrong podcast. Yeah, because everybody that knows me knows I don't have a filter. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. Yes, I don't really have a filter either. Um, but you definitely don't have a filter. So yeah, that's, that's good, though. That's what we're here for. Okay, well, then you be careful what you wish for. <laughs> okay, are you? Sh is it my turn? Should yes, I talk about myself? Yes, please do. Okay, so uh, my name's Rachel, as we uh, learned, and I love to read. And you and I read a lot of the same books. We talk about them, you know, on the phone or in person, or we'll be like texting each other as we're reading books and just kind of thought, you know, like talking to some friends. And I listen to a lot of podcasts myself and a lot of my friends like think you're hilarious. And I thought this would just be like a fun thing for us to do together. So here we are. Here we are. And I, you know what? I think I forgot to say my name because I'm known as mom, but uh, my, <laughs> my actual name is Kara. Yes, you're Kara, but I will be calling you mom. That's, that's fine. <laughs> I'm on board with that. Yes. A any listeners will just, you know, maybe they'll call you mom also. That's fine. I don't care. Um, let me just say we will be about the book in detail. So there will be spoilers. Oh, yeah. There will be cursing. Okay, so can now can I talk about what we're reading? And yeah, are you going to tell the book title and everything? Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, we decided to read and discuss our first book, which is called A Rune of Roses by K.F. Breen. And I have to say, I love K.F. Breen. I've been reading her for years. She uh, ha is the author of other book series like Magical Midlife Madness, which had really interesting characters and was so witty and made me laugh out loud. And then uh, the Sin and Chocolate book series, which I absolutely loved and I think had one of the best, hottest sex scenes between the main characters. And they're not only hot, 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 but they were connected on a spiritual level that I seriously wanted to light up a cigarette and bask in their afterglow <laughs> nice. with them. <laughs> so I was really anxious to start this new series she has called A Rune and Roses, which is the book is described as a dark fairy tale and a spicy version of Beauty and the Beast. I also like this author, but you have read more of her stuff than I have. I was excited to give this a go because I haven't read any of her stuff in a while. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so this is book one in the Deliciously Dark Fairy Tales series. And I looked it up this morning and it's actually book one in a trilogy, which I did not realize before reading okay. the book. Mm -hmm. I am notorious for not reading a blurb or trying to look up anything about a book before I read it because I, contrary to this podcast, don't really like spoilers. Well, yeah, me too. I guess I listen to spoilers more than I read spoilers because I listen to podcasts that talk about books in detail and then I'll still read the book later, mm -hmm. but I don't like to read the blurb. I don't know. There's really no method to my madness is basically all in point. Yeah, okay. Well, I can get that because I <laughs> don't want to know anything about it. I mean, knowing the title alone is enough for me. Yeah, I'm definitely a judge the book by the cover kind of person. Like a good cover, an author I've read before, a recommendation from a friend, or just kind of knowing the genre of the book mm -hmm. is enough to hook me. You know, it's funny you say that because last night I was looking for another book to start reading and I realized after like five minutes that I was just staring at the cover of this one book. <laughs> which, which book was it I, now? I, you know, honestly, I don't even remember. But I was like, oh, my God, the guy on this cover is so hot. And then I was like, this is not why you're here. You're here to pick another book. So I finally <laughs> was able to focus. And so if you were looking last night for a new book to read, does that mean that you already finished the next book that we're supposed to talk about? Yes, I did. Oh, crap. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to text that to you this morning. Get on okay. it, girl. This book starts out about the five magical kingdoms that were in existence and that the kingdom our heroine lives in is the Dragon Kingdom, which apparently was ruled by an insane king who made a deal with the Demon King before he died. Is that 
what you've gotten out of this book so far. Yeah, it's, it was kind of hard for me to figure out. I think the author does that on purpose because she doesn't just come out and tell you at the very beginning of the story what happened and mm -hmm. what kind of cursed this land. So it is a Beauty and the Beast retelling. Mm -hmm. So in the Beauty and the Beast fashion, something has happened to curse the kingdom mm -hmm. as a whole. Mm -hmm. And in this case, the castle itself and like the occupants of the castle kind of have a special curse in addition to what the people in the surrounding kingdom have. So it took me a while to kind of figure out like everything that was happening and how the curse came to be. Yeah. But I kind of liked how it unfolded. Yeah. So for the people in the in the town or the village, the curse was that they could not shift into their animal form. And because they couldn't shift into their animal form, they could not find their true mate. And so they apparently had to stumble through the dating world like the rest of us. So of course my heart broke for them because it's a thankless task. We all know. <laughs> yes, it really is. Yeah. And I wasn't really sure for a while what the king got out of this deal, but what I think, and I think he wants to hurt or punish the prince. He wants to keep his son from shifting, finding his true mate and being happy. Yeah, it really comes out that the king was a horrible person. He was abusive yeah. to the queen. And it seems like at one point, the prince left the kingdom to kind of get away from mm -hmm. the king, his father. Yeah, the king kind of tricks him into returning. And then like traps him there with this curse in the book the curse has lasted for 16 years at this point mm -hmm. the people in the village that have the animal inside them and they can no longer shift they're really losing a lot of their history and their knowledge about being shifters because information was really passed down from person to person or it was just something internal that you knew mm-hmm and so there's no like books or anything that the younger generation, in this case, the female main character named Finley, she can't look anything up about her animal. She knows she has something, but she doesn't know anything about it and she can't connect to it. In the village, the, the true mate thing is more of like an an urban legend or like a fantasy that people are like, well, people said there were true mates, but were there really? Because we haven't seen any true mates in almost 20 years. Right. And the older generation, having been disconnected from their animal, they're so, it's so traumatizing to them to be disconnected and unable to shift that they don't talk about any of it. Well, in, in addition to not being able to shift, that also means they're not able to heal quickly. They're not as strong. I don't know. Is that what causes this sickness in, through the village that is claiming the lives of the people of the village? What do you think? It's not really clear why this sickness is happening other than it is a byproduct of the curse. Yeah, I had a little trouble with that because it, it wasn't very clear. And apparently the plan of this demon king is that he wants to annihilate all the other kingdoms and take over ruling everyone. So people are fleeing these or trying to flee these kingdoms. And if they get through, they're trying to hide in the human world, which really causes them to forget about their animal and their history. And in Finley's village, they have to go through something called the forbidden woods to flee the kingdom and try to get to the human world. Am I going too quickly for you? No, that's fine. I, I have a comment on the Forbidden Wood thing when you're done. Okay. So if they go through the Forbidden Woods, they are, and they're, they're caught, they, the woods is guarded by a uh, quote unquote nobleman. And it is his right. If these people are caught stealing or trespassing, he can kill them without any questions being asked. So the Forbidden Wood is introduced to us in the prologue. 
And in the prologue, Finley is 14 years old and she ventures into the Forbidden Wood because she is trying to get this special plant that she tries to use to cure people or prolong the effect from the curse, right? Right. And as soon as I read Forbidden Wood, I laughed my ass off because instantly came to mind that <laughs> forbidden wood was a double entendre yes. for beast peen there you go <laughs> you're absolutely right that's funny because when they introduced this plant called everlast kind of annoyed me because the name for whatever reason i just kept thinking everlast i'm extremely dyslexic so sometimes i have a hard time reading but the this word kept even though it was printed as everlast getting a vision of boxing gloves in my mind every time that i heard this stupid word so she goes into the woods to collect this everlast leaf to create a potion so now there's just her and three of her siblings and her father left. In the prologue, she's 14. And mm -hmm. then in chapter one, it jumps forward nine years. So then she's 23 years old. So she has an older brother. His name is Hannon. Mm -hmm. He is 25. She has a, a younger sister named Sable, who's 14, and a younger brother, Dash, who is 11. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go back to when she's 14 and in the woods. They, she is actually chased by, for the first time by this beast that guards the woods. Um, but she's able to escape. And apparently this beast cannot cross over the line that where the woods end and the village begin. Yeah, I got a little worried when the prologue started when she was 14, but I did like that it jumped ahead so far, Yeah, really began. And I really liked the prologue. It was very action-packed. You mm -hmm. really get a lot of information about the wood and the sickness mm -hmm. and what's kind of happening. The end couple words was, the end was near. And I thought that was a great ending to a prologue, which is actually the beginning of the story. Mm -hmm. I just kind of liked that play on words. Yeah, well, I, I really liked her family dynamic because it was so different than the normal. Well, I'm only going to talk about my normal. I don't know about anybody else's normal, but um, it's very different than the quote unquote normal. Her brother does the cooking and cleaning and looks after the house and the family. And Finley is a very strong, assertive woman. She is the one that hunts for the family. She's able to make these elixirs. She uh, tans hides and she wears trousers, which I guess is a big thing in this village that she doesn't, she doesn't dress like a quote unquote girl. But so I was confused at this part because it sounds like they, before this, the sickness happened, they had all these modern conveniences. So we would think we would be over the trousers by now, but there's a lot of mixing of the old ways and I guess the what the current ways are. And they're all having to get used to going back to growing their own food and walking to the market and all these other things that goes back in time, I guess, to like the fairy tale of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, she mentions at one point that the curse... I think separated them from the human realm, plunged them back into the dark ages. Mm -hmm. And so they were having to relearn a lot of things, you know, they took for granted because of modern convenience. And then even at like one point, one of the characters, the beast, somebody comes out in a pair of jeans and she's shocked because right. she hasn't seen jeans in so long because of the curse. Mm -hmm. And they're kind of a luxury at this point. Mm -hmm. Oh, something else that I thought was interesting is she and her brother are apparently at the age now where they can get married. A guy in the village called Jedrick. I don't know if I'm saying that properly. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay, so he apparently is the village hottie. He he is the best looking guy in the village. And Finley apparently, even though she's wearing trousers, is the most beautiful woman in the village. So he has set his sights on her and she can't stand him. So he's made it very clear to her and everyone that will listen that he's going to marry her and she doesn't really want to get married. I personally found him really annoying. 
I don't know, I was a little confused about him in the book. He reminded me so much of Gaston in The Real Bell and Beauty and the Beast. But that's all I can envision when we were talking or I was reading about them. Yeah, I think that's exactly who he's supposed to be. He actually has his own home, which at this point is a luxury. And she says, you know, he only has his own home because he's not a good person. Sure, he's good looking, but, you know, I don't want to be with he's dead set on proposing to her and everybody in the village is paying attention to their interaction because he's such a hot commodity. Finley is very witty. And this Mm -hmm. is something that the author does so well is that she writes witty characters. Mm -hmm. And so I highlighted a couple passages from her interaction with Jedrick. She goes, beauty fades Jedrick, but faults remain. And I pride myself on having a lot of faults. And I thought that was hilarious. She's trying to, she's trying to be like, get away from me it's it's not you it's me mm-hmm. that's kind of her way of doing that right i really like her kf brain the way she writes women characters because they are super smart and they are super funny that magical midlife madness book which i've been bugging you to read for i don't know how long i thought was hilarious so maybe you'll read that one day so anyway oh my god i read the first book in that series Okay, well, there's more. All right. This, uh, what's his name? Jarek person is so bad that when his father became ill, like you were saying, and he didn't help his family, he literally threw his parents out in the street because they were sick and, and took over the house. So Finley is like the polar opposite of him. And against her brother's protest, Finley tells him she's gonna go back in the woods and hunt for more leaves because... She feels like if she keeps working on this elixir that she will be able to um, not only prolong life for her father and the other villagers, but she will be able to find a cure. Can we proceed to that point and talk about it? Or do you have other things you want to talk about before we get there? I can just say something about the elixir itself. Yeah, go right ahead. She does say that if you add one petal of a red rose, it increases the potency of the elixir by 10 times, which I liked because in the movie, the the rose is very symbolic. And that, that was kind of a nice little nod to that from the movie. Right. And there's another place in the book later on where they also, that rose comes into play, which I thought was good. Yes, in a much more significant way. Right. So, of course, because, you know, she is, she's super brave. I don't know how brave I would be, but she was super brave. She goes back into the woods and she um, finds this field of these everlasting plants. You have to be very careful how you handle them and don't damage them. You have to clip them just so. And if you handle them incorrectly or even stuff them into your bag incorrectly, they will lose their potency. She suddenly, while she's in the middle of picking these leaves, she hears some horrible scream in the air, um, off in the distance. And I love this writer because this is what she says. It sounds like a human in peril being eaten alive or gruesomely tortured or a man with a paper cut on his finger. So she's, (laughs) it's just universally known that men are babies. I guess I apologize to men, but you are. And, um, (laughs) I just thought, I just thought that was so funny because here in this super tense moment of all these horrible creatures around her and tense, can she get the leaves and get out of there? Um, And of course the beast, the beast shows up and she, she runs out of the woods again. I think this is the one, is this this section where he, something is going to attack her and she saves him. This is chapter one. And I think, Chapter one. <laughs> yeah, this literally chapter. This quote that you're reading is from chapter one. But oh, so I think this was kind of the first time that she's seen the dragon again in a really long time because she had seen it when she was 14. Mm-hmm. I think she's been going into the woods ever since, oh, yeah. but she's never really seen him again. So this is kind of the first time she's seeing him after the nine years has passed. Uh, okay, so she when she was a kid she would see this beautiful golden dragon flying up in the sky and she would stop and stare at it and 
you know, was awestruck from it. And you're right. They, she hadn't seen it for a long time. And I thought the rumors about the protector of the woods was this nobleman, this beast that um, the kingdom had to keep trespassers out. The beast is, there's beasts, the beast, I should say, not multiple. There's one beast. Mm -hmm. And then there are also demons. Mm -hmm. And ever since the curse started, the demons have appeared at the same time as the curse. She does know, um, it is said that the dragons are very important to the growing of the Everlast plant. Mm -hmm. And that without the presence of dragons, the Everlast wouldn't sprout from the soil. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. Kind of a little hidden nugget. Yeah, heads up. He is going into this like beast slash dragon infested area to get the Everlast plant. But then at the same time, she is able to grow the Everlast plant in her village. And she's kind of teaching other people in the village how to do it. Which I thought was pretty interesting because if she, it kind of made me start thinking, does she have some dragon in her? Like, is she a dragon shifter? Because she has such a propensity for working with plant, which is, she also says, this plant was regal. Regal, meaning incredibly fussy and hard to work with. Mm -hmm. I thought that was hilarious. It's like, yeah, they. it's very fickle, but she has just a great way of dealing with it. I think that there were little seeds of information obviously planted all along through the book that kind of lead up towards what's going to be happening down the road. So anyway, she's in this woods and she is, the bee sees her picking these leaves and she runs out of the forest again and she goes home and is all freaked out and they go to bed that night and she's super grateful that the, the beast cannot come out of the woods, but while they're sleeping in the middle of the night, her, her whole house starts shaking. She wakes up because she was having nightmares about the beast chasing her ever since she was 14. She thought it was a nightmare, but it's actually the beast is at her house looking for her through the windows. So he obviously can cross out of the woods and he tells her older brother, I, you take care of the kids. I'm going to run out of the house and lead him away from the house. And though he tries to stop her, she says, no, this is, this is what I have to do. And she, she runs out of the house and I guess runs back through the woods and he's chasing her. And this is the first time in the book where he has her cornered and he shifts into a man yeah, I loved this whole section mm-hmm. of the book because it's you're so invested in it mm-hmm. that you can really like picture yourself as her like waking up in the middle of the night. She's literally sleeping in the same bed as her sister. Mm-hmm. So she opens her eyes. Her sister is like terrified mm-hmm. looking at her mm-hmm. and you can just like feel the panic. You can picture the eye like looking through the window. Yes. And the sheer terror and the like, oh my God, like the beast is at my house because of something I did. And she's so like, this is my burden to bear. And I will sacrifice myself to save my family Mm -hmm. as you would do as, you know, the, she's kind of the protector of her family. So of course she's going to do that. So this is how she ends up like separating herself from her family. She like runs out and she ends up, blindly running through the village and you could totally picture like yep. her running through the village mm-hmm. and the big scary beast like yes. behind her and she's running blindly but subconsciously she's running back into the everlast field because that's just kind of where she always goes right so in the everlast field yes he all of a sudden it's like bam there you go right and, oh my god i was so here for it yes and <laughs> of course he's he's totally naked because, you know, you cannot be a beast with clothes on. And, of course, all these men are incredibly hung. And <laughs> she, <laughs> she, she's, she's trying not to look, but she's having all these feelings happening to her. And then he starts to tell her that the price for trespassing is detention and for stealing its death. 
And I love the part where she stays straight face and she tries to tell him, well, I didn't steal anything. So that's good. Um, <laughs> She's very like, let me try to talk my right, way out of this. Yes. But of course he, he doesn't believe her. And she finds out his name is, is it Nifair? I'm going to say it wrong the entire time. Nifane, Nifan. I'm not sure how you say it. It's N-Y-F-A-I-N. Uh-huh. However, you, it would be nice to have the audiobook for the just the pronunciation oh, right. yeah. of the names, but I'm not sure how you say it. Nifane, Nifan. I'm not sure. So immediately when they meet, there's an attraction between them and she feels overwhelming lust and wanting this man to dominate her and a hunger and she's all for it. She has no idea what. Yeah, it- her. Her and me both. I'm all oh for my it, God. too. Yeah, isn't that the point of these books? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So she has no idea what's happening and doesn't understand why she's having the feelings. And this guy immediately starts touching her. And then he he asks her, which was so freaking hot. He's like, do you want me to dominate you? <laughs> yes. And of Answer course, always we're yes saying in this yes. Situation. And <laughs> she can feel her animal inside her. Finally, and the the animal obviously wants this man to dominate her more than anything in the world. It's for the first time she does feel this. And even though neither one of them want their animals to be attracted to each other, the animals are crazy about each other. Her animal wants his animal to claim her. Yeah, her animal, whatever the animal is, because we still don't know what her animal is by the end of the book, but whatever her inner animal is, is all about mm-hmm. submit to him. Yes. He is an, he is a the perfect alpha. alpha yep. She is more here for it than I am. And I was loving it. Yes. And she ends up thinking to herself, this guy must be the king of lust because she cannot stop having filthy thoughts about him. In fact, I think she asks him that. And he tells her that he's only a nobleman, the the only nobleman left, and he's the keeper of the land and the people's protector. And that now he's her jailer and her master. And she- Oh, I highlighted that too, honey. That was so good. (laughs) Oh, yes. And um, I love this because she turns around and laughs in his face and tells him, uh, you're doing a terrible job of protecting the people. They're dying if you're doing such a great job, because we don't really know anything about him at this point, other than, you know, the very beginning of the book. And she does, she's not going to go with him. And he ends up telling her that he has watched her little brother sneak into the woods also with a couple of his friends. And if she wants to save her little brother, she will cooperate with him. And by cooperate, we all know what that means. (laughs) So, of course, she is going to say yes, because she loves her family, which they have already established. And she does not want anything to happen to her little brother, even though personally she wants to kill him for going into the woods when he was not supposed to go in there. They kind of end up coming to this agreement. So because she's field, you know, surrounded by these precious plants (laughs) that mean a lot to the village and to him. And so she literally like takes her foot and holds it over a plant threatening to to stomp on it. And I loved it because even though she's powerless Uh in the situation, Mm -hmm. she's still like, I will use any means necessary to kind of level the playing field. And then she kind of comes out and mentions something about the elixir. And this is all brand new news to him. It's like, what elixir? What are you talking Mm -hmm. about? Trying to, he's never heard of it before. And so they kind of come to this agreement where she's going to teach him and tell him about the elixir she's come up with. And he, in exchange, will keep her family safe. I just want to say one part that I highlighted about voice Mm -hmm. because I loved the way that his voice was described. So he goes, you are trespassing. He said with a deep, scratchy voice. It sounded like he'd earned that too, as though he'd screamed so hard and long that he damaged his vocal cords. And oh my God, it's like sent shivers down my spine mm-hmm. the way his voice was described. Mm-hmm. So one thing real fast before we move on. Yeah. At this point in the book, she stabs him <laughs> in, to try to get away from him. Yeah. You. You like skip that part. That was amazing. I was like, yes, alpha bitch energy. I am here for it. Girl power. Yeah. Yeah. So she, She, yes. 
she's kind of resigned to her fate, right? Yeah. But she's not going to just roll over and take it. Like, she's going to go kicking and screaming and crawling and literally stabbing her way to her demise. And I was all about it. Oh, yeah. And when I forgot to also mention that when he shifts into uh, the form of a man, she notices all these scars on his body and says, oh, if his, even on his face, right? And she says, if it wasn't for that, he would be incredibly handsome. Yeah, he's described as having like brown hair. Of course, he's nothing but muscles and zero fat. Of course. He's seven feet tall. Finley herself is six feet tall, which she does say Mm -hmm. is unusually tall for a woman in her village. And he has golden eyes. Yes, clue number two that there's something special about her. Mm -hmm. And then her brother, Hannon, is actually described as being six foot three. So he's also very tall. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the beast, he has scars all over his body. And yes, he has some on his face. But then he also has ink. Yeah. Like tattoos. Trying to cover up some of his scars. So, okay, I absolutely agree. You're, You're right. The description of him is... I would do him. Okay. So, uh... They, he tells her he's taking her back to the castle. And I, I got to tell you, I was the one that picked this book because of K.F. Green. And I start reading this part of the book and I thought, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> of all the books for our maiden voyage into this venture, I don't think I could have picked a crazier book. So he walks into the castle carrying her and there's this wild, wild orgy party going on. (laughs) Everything you could possibly imagine. And then some happening. Uh, And I thought, holy crap, this is going to be a massive sex book. The party goers are engaged in women on women, men on men, an orgy of all men pulling a train. (laughs) Yeah. Jesus Christ, do I really want to discuss this with you, but why not? So it's (laughs) over the top debauchery, which I have not encountered in her books before. So I was a little surprised by that and I remember thinking to myself oh sweet this book's gonna be awesome of course he does not want everyone she's looking around you know like what is happening and well of course as you do when you're you're confronted with all of this mayhem you're it's like a train wreck and you can't help but watch yes and they explain what's happening later but he of course does not want anyone to touch her and he starts calling for favorite character (laughs) in (laughs) the entire book and that is i don't know do you say his name hedrel yeah hedrel hadriel i'm not really sure how to say his name like i said i don't know how to say anybody's name in this he's the butler hedrel is the butler to nightfare he comes walking out (laughs) emerges, (laughs) emerges from this crowd of people and he's wearing a purple fuzzy suit that is like a mock-up version of what the beast looks like and he has shoes that looks like hooves it's amazing i just loved it right off the bat because it was so outlanded yeah and then later on he makes a comment and he's like do you think the master noticed that i, yeah. I was basically wearing this costume <laughs> yeah. <of him?"> right <laughs> It's like, bro, everybody noticed. Everybody Everybody saw. Everybody noticed. (laughs) So he tells the butler, go upstairs and prepare the tower room because that's where she's going to be. Nifair carries her upstairs and is about to imprison her in this dark tower room for her crimes. And he's going to lock her away. I'd love to how you just walk into the castle and it's just absolute mayhem. Oh, God. And she's just like, what in the world is happening? And of course, because there are demons, she knows about Incubus mm-hmm. and Succubus. Mm-hmm. And so she's shocked. But then at the same time, it's not like demons are brand new to her, right? Ends up seeing um, Hadril. And she kind of has a little bit of interaction with him after she's thrown in the tower. Mm-hmm. Which ends up being less of a prison and more of like a bedroom. Right. Of course. A beautiful bedroom. Uh, yeah, nicer bedroom than she's ever had with its own ensuite. And, you know, if it wasn't for like the prison bar windows, like it'd be perfect, right? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> please put me in a room like that. If you can have bars. I don't care. 
Just let me have my Kindle so I can download books. That's all I ask. I really liked her interactions with Hadril because he was kind of a good source of information for her. Yeah. In terms of Castle's side of the curse, because she knows the curse from being in the village, right? But she doesn't really know how it's affecting the royalty or people in the castle. This is kind of a nightly thing for them is that they are just full on debauchery, more from nothing else to do. And because there are all of these like sex demons everywhere, they're kind of like using their magic to force people in the castle to do what they want. Yes. And just kind of pictured Mr. Cogsworth from the cartoon the whole time. Mm-hmm. You know, the little clock. Yeah, guy. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's basically who Hadrill is in this book. He's Mr. Cogsworth. She finds out that he's 26 years old. At one point, oh, I wonder if I can find the quote. He talks about how he's doing all of these things. It gets so fucking boring here that I keep venturing down to the party. Booze and sex were really fun for like five years. Yeah. Then it was a pleasant distraction. Now I'm just shame fucking, you know? Yeah. And if I'm not shame fucking, I'm shame eating. I used to do hobbies and shit and I don't know, make use of myself. Now I just do whatever the incubus tells me. But then he talks about, he's got me banging ladies. I don't even like banging <laughs> ladies, but I do it. Why not? It's not like I have any self-respect anymore. Right. And I thought he was so fucking funny. He, he's just like, he's great. He just owns, he's very like transparent and he owns his like descent into insanity and how it's really taking a toll on him. And then at this point, we also find out about this thing that was a byproduct of the curse for the castle, Mm -hmm. a thing called the magical gag. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Every time I read that, all I could think was ball gag. Yes. Yes. Which was probably, you know, something she did on purpose. But basically, there is a magical thing that happens to people in the castle. So if they try to talk about how the curse originated or what happened, Mm -hmm. they die to the most extreme extent. Or they just have some pretty nasty side effects. Mm -hmm. She ends up getting, when it's daylight she can open the blinds and she sees how beautiful the room is and the view and everything. And Nightfair sends her a lady's maid whose name is Leah. You can look at Leah and tell she was down in the party because apparently she's into <laughs> erotic asphyxiation. And she likes it rough. She likes it rough <laughs> is what they say. But does she like it rough? I couldn't tell. Are, do these people like what they're doing? Or is this all stuff that's being forced upon them by these, um, the incubus and the demon? So apparently, Nifer gets the castle, and I could be wrong, but I got the impression he gets use of the castle during the day. But at night, all these demons come out and the sex parties and the orgies start. And he tells Finley, do not leave your room at night. You cannot leave your room. And he, when he sends her this lady's maid, even though he locks her in, he sends her this lady's maid. The lady's maid gives her the key. I liked her lady's maid because I feel like her lady's maid is the opposite of Hadril where... He's kind of reluctantly um, Mm -hmm. participating Mm -hmm. in the nightly activities, whereas the lady's maid is all about it. She is like here for it. Even at one point later in the book, she is talking to Hadriel and she says something about how he won't spank her and she doesn't like that. Yeah. He's like, I'm not into that. And she's like, well, I am. And you do it so well. So I wish you would do it more. Right. Yeah. Oh my God. It's just like another like part where she kind of does this like role reversal right because you have the butler who's a guy Mm -hmm. and you have the lady's maid who's a woman and usually the women are like the sexually repressed uh characters and the men would be all over having sex constantly with anybody who would participate but in this book it's the exact opposite the female lady's maid is the one that's all about it she's like an active participant Mm -hmm every night and then the man is really like he's the one that has the feelings of shame and does it only because there's nothing better to do which i really love like the shame feeling is usually attributed to women right in their sexuality which is frustrating um after she's talking to the lady's maid they want to get her clothes and 
There's nothing for her to wear right now. So she puts on a pair of pants and the butler or Admiral tells her he wants you to meet him in the garden somewhere. There's a quote in here where she says, I'm not going. And he says, yeah, except if you don't go, I will be the one that is punished personally. So I have to beg you to please, please have pity on your poor, humble butler, Avril, and accompany me. And then she says, do you always talk about yourself in the third person? And he said, only when it's a dire situation. And I cannot think <laughs> in a rational manner. This is an emergency, love. My goal of the day is not shitting myself. If he punishes me for not following orders, I will definitely shit myself. And then everyone will make fun of me for like <laughs> five years or something. This is essential. Please, I'll do anything. And I just was laughing my ass off through the entire time. He's just a great comic relief. Yeah. yeah. At, one, at one point in the same chapter, I felt like Hadriel and I were the same person <laughs> because he he says to her, do not lie to me oh, about God. a coffee replacement or I will pull your hair. That's right. <laughs> this would be me after 16 years of not having coffee. I would murder somebody for a cup. Yeah, I, that's funny because I highlighted that too because, I, you know, me, I'm a coffee addict. If I could mainline it all day, I would. She also can create some kind of elixir that will nullify the effects of the demons on their mind and protect them because she would she would drink it this tea before she went into the woods to help save herself and when she's having all these lustful thoughts about um the the shifter she's like well i guess that i can do the tea right because i have no control over what i'm thinking and so he loves her and he's like oh god if you can make this tea and help us you know protect ourselves from these thoughts of wanting to participate in this orgy so much and you make coffee on top of it, you are now my favorite person. And I liked that part, but then they never talked about that again. And I don't know if that was something that saved for another book. Yeah, I think a lot of things kind of giving you just little crumbs and little bits of, and then eventually they will kind of come together. Because also at one point in this chapter, it's revealed that people are also having sex all the time in the castle because nobody can get pregnant. And because there's no consequences mm -hmm. to all of escapades, they just kind of go for it, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's revealed that only the master, um, Nyfane, can impregnate a woman. And even then, he can only impregnate his true mate. Mm -hmm. So that was another thing that never... I don't think ever came back around, but we'll probably, you know, in one of these books later on, mm -hmm. come back. Yeah. She ends up going and meeting with Nayfair. She has to remind herself every time she's around him that he is the enemy. He kidnapped her. This is not a good guy that you want to fall for. And she's having these internal dialogues with her beast constantly and the beast is like telling her you're crazy this guy is great you need to let him claim you and it, it's pretty funny um to watch the diet or read the dialogue between her and her beast because they are so at polar opposites of what should be the, going on with this man yeah i think her beast is a lot like your bad influence bff right because if you're like a girl who's dating some guy or like talking to some guy and you're having all these thoughts like, oh, he's a bad boy. I should stay away from him. And then we all have that one friend who is like, girl, just go for it. Just fuck him once and get him out of your system. <laughs> well, I, I was always her, that one friend. <laughs> right. Like, do we either, yeah. Do it. Yeah. You either have that friend or you are that friend. Right. But that's definitely what her beast is like. Her beast is like, just go for it. He would be great for you. Like, mm -hmm. not even impartial. She's very biased. <laughs> yeah. Outside yes. internal opinion. Yes. And so he, Nathan ends up telling her he wants to learn about the plants and she sees him in the field, you know, bent over and shirtless, of course, uh, with all those rippling muscles. And she sees him showing all this tenderness to this Everlast plant. And she's quite moved by that. And then 
she's finding herself again where don't, don't, uh, I, I kind of honestly got a little tired of the back and forth with them. Okay. I mean, one minute they're, they're having oral sex or he's finger, <laughs> he's finger fucking her or sucking on her tits in the middle of this open field with the butler and the ladies maid setting out lunch for them. And you think, fine, you know, they're finally going to do it because the heat between them is really intense. And then they're like, they hate each other. They're pushing each other away. And it's like, you know, if I wanted to deal with that or read about that scenario, I would have stayed married. But I chose not to. I, I chose to free myself, which was a, <laughs> which was a good thing. Um, <laughs> so I did ha- have a hard time with the back and forth part of that were you okay with that or it was kind of confusing because honestly going into this book realizing it was book one of a series but not knowing that it was book one of a trilogy Mm -hmm. i was thinking and wrongfully assuming that each book in the series would be different characters and like a different fairy tale retelling oh and so i kind of thought that their situation would be wrapped up by the end of the so yeah some of the back and forth i was like why are we still doing this or they were also struggling with themselves and giving into this pull that they have Mm -hmm. and she doesn't really understand why they're being pulled together but he kind of makes comments or alludes to things when he's talking to her that there's something more pulling them together Mm-hmm. And it's like maybe something more than just their beasts and that their beasts are connected. Yeah. Which also makes me kind of go towards them. They are true mates and he might realize it, but she has no idea. Yeah. He, he tells her, you know, you don't have a clue about your animal or that there is something very special about you. And she keeps referring to, this is like such a blatant clue. It's like, she keeps referring to, quote, the fire in her blood every time she's around him. And I think it's pro- very obvious what her animal is, but I could be wrong. It wouldn't be the first time, you know? Yeah, so she keeps talking about how feeling fire and she feels all the heat. Mm-hmm. And is it coming from her or is it something that he is doing to her? And that's part of the reason why I think she thought he was an incubus at first Mm -hmm. because of how he was affecting her so much. Mm -hmm. I highlighted something in here, which I love because even though they're kind of going back and forth, she's very quick to call him out on his BS. Oh God. Yeah. So after their interaction in the Everlast garden, where they're getting very hot and heavy, he says to her, stay away from me, Finley. I'm not a nice man. I will destroy you. He walked toward Hadriel. And then she just snaps right back at him. And she goes, stay away from, stay away from, I wasn't the one with my nipple in his mouth. Right. And she says that to him. And I love that because it's so true. It's like, it's not just me here. Like, don't just say that I'm the sole participant or the sole person pushing these interactions Mm -hmm. and whatever this connection is forward. Mm -hmm. Own your shit. You are a very much equal part person of this, in this chapter she finds out that he lost his wings when he shifted after the curse because even though the the curse has made it so that other people can't shift in the kingdom Mm -hmm. he is basically forcing himself to shift consequence of that shift was losing his wings and then it changed his eye color oh that's right okay because this episode is running a lot longer than we thought it would, we are going to split this into two parts. So this was basically the end of chapter seven in the book. So when we pick up, we're going to pick up at chapter eight and go until then. Does that sound good to you? I think that's an absolute plan. There's a lot to talk about in this book and um, going with two is, is a good idea. Okay. All right. I like it. Okay. Me too. Okay.